I want you to mark, if you will, Ruth chapter 4. And let's turn over into the New Testament to the book of Romans chapter 5. And as you're turning to those two places, I want to tell you about a song. A song that I've been thinking about a lot the last few days. It's a song that many of you may understand or know. It says, Just as I am. I want to ask you something. If you were to take a spiritual mirror this morning and you were able to see yourself the way that God saw you, what would you see? Undoubtedly, there's many things in our life that we can hide. People hide things that are illegal or immoral or unethical. They want to hide things. Whether it's monies or whether it's deeds, they want to hide things. If you remember in the 139th division of Psalm, the psalmist said, Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. He wanted a clean heart, a desire for a clean heart. I want you to know something this morning I do believe in, that if you ask God to search you, you cannot hide anything from God He will find. But when I say just as I am, I want you all this morning to know this. There's nothing you can hide from God, but there's also, the, the beauty of that is, there is nothing you cannot plead to God. Because He knows. How are we and what kind of condition are we? We're going to read about some of these places in just a little while. Let me read to you, if I can, in the book of Romans, chapter 5. And Paul is talking about how, in his letter to the Romans, that, that we are justified by our faith in Him, and that what happens when we are justified. But look what he says in the 8th verse. But God commandeth His love toward us. Just as I am, listen to this, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This morning, I want you to think about how do we approach God. I can tell you the answer to that, and I will probably repeat myself many times. Folks, we come to God just like we are. Sometimes we want to fix up or clean up or try to do better and then come into God's presence. Notice something this morning. Even while we were yet sinners, in the worst state we could possibly be in, God provided what we needed. This morning there's nothing that I would desire any more than every soul this morning understand that whatever condition you are in, that you can come to God just like you are. It's not about your clothes. It's not about the life choices that you've made. It's not about what kind of situation you're in in life. It's all about if you come to Christ, you must come to Him just as you are. You know what I've learned about shame? When you think about shamed or people that are ashamed, 
If I'm ashamed of, of, of how my yard looks, I don't want somebody to come by and see my yard, so I mow the yard. We sometimes are ashamed of who we are and we want to clean ourselves up. Maybe you understand this morning is that we cannot clean ourselves up. We can do better, but we need God's help that we might be what He would have us to be. Listen to what Paul said, that God commandeth His love toward us. We're going to talk about love in a minute, but the word commandeth. It's a very interesting, very, very interesting word that God has demonstrated His love to us. When I say demonstrated, do you believe today that God has proven His love for mankind? I want to ask you that question again. Do you think that God has proven His love for mankind? Folks, even when we were unlovable, God loved us. The Bible says that if you love, it's because He first loved us. Just as you are this morning, just as I am this morning, that God said He wants to demonstrate His love to us. You know what I've learned about demonstrations is, is that some people have seen those, some of them have not. Demonstrating how you put something together or demonstrate how something may operate. Not everybody's seen that, folks. Not everybody has experienced God's love. But let me tell you something, it's there. God's love is that in the most broken state, in the most heavy-hearted of places you can be, that you don't have to clean up or do better. You can still come to God just as I am. What a blessing it is this morning that, that, that Paul teaches us that God commandeth His love toward us. Why did God love us and how did God love us? How does God demonstrate to you? That's a question you have to ask yourself. How does God demonstrate to you that He loves you? And one of the things that we see that Paul's talking about, that God commandeth His love toward us. I hope that you all will agree with me this morning when I say, nothing demonstrates God's love more than Calvary. More than Calvary, you think about this. There is no greater love than a man, that one that is willing to lay his life down for his brother. Folks, God loved us. He loved us enough that just as we are in our sinful state that we are, in the brokenness that we may find ourselves in this world, we do not have to change. We do not have to try to do better. We don't have to make better decisions. You can come to Christ this morning just as you are. Why? Because of Calvary. Calvary is not uh, some kind of a scene that, that we may think is about Easter, folks. The, the, the Calvary is all about forgiveness of sin. And that's something we've talked about here before. But it's sin that God said that He must deal with. Sin that God must punish. And that God is providing a way that God commandeth His love toward us. John chapter 3 and some familiar scripture. I'll turn back and read it for you. John chapter 3 and verse 16 said, For God so loved the world. He didn't just love the world. For God so loved the world. He said in the previous verse of that, He says that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. What did He do because He loved us? That He gave. Gave. I want to ask you, how does God demonstrate love? How do people in their life... Let me rewind that again. 
Do you think there's a difference in somebody saying I love you versus somebody showing that they love you? Do you think there's a difference in that? You may not, but I'm going to tell you this preacher's opinion. My conviction and belief and opinion is it's one thing to say it, it's something else to show it. God loves us. You can take God at His word. But let's just say that you don't want to take God at His word. Look at His actions. What has God done for us to prove that He loved us? He said He gave. Not just an animal. Folks, God created all the animals that were on Noah's ark. God created them. Could those have been sacrificed? They belonged unto God. God said, I'm not just giving you a sacrifice. I am giving you my son. Not only my son, my only begotten son. That's what he's referring to here this, uh, this morning as we read these scriptures that God loved us. He gave us his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The greatest demonstration that I am convinced has ever happened to show God's love towards mankind is Calvary. What happened on Calvary that day? Matter of fact, if you'll go and you'll read it, the Bible teaches that there was a time when the sun should have been shining in its absolute brightest on a, on a, a bright sun shining day, that there was a time that it said that it was darkness. That even God would not look upon the scene of the punishment of sin. It's not that He couldn't, but that Jesus died a death so that you and I would not have to die a death of darkness in our life. Folks, there are people today that are around us that they are soon going to die a death without God, folks. And if you die a death without God, hell will be an eternal home. You don't come to God today and change who you are and try to do better. You come to Him with a, with a brokenness and a destination of hell saying, God, save me, deliver me, bring me out. And I'll tell you this, you cannot ask of God something He cannot do for you. You might ask something of me and I can't do that. If you want to fix your thermostat on your central heating and air, you're probably out. I might replace it, but I'm not going to fix it. There's things that you might ask of me, and I'm not saying God the thermostat business. What I'm saying is, we as human beings have our limits. God has no bounds nor limits. What do you have in your life that you must bring before God? For, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If Calvary doesn't prove to you that God loved us, I don't know that anything can happen. That a man named Christ could go through a time of darkness. And let's just rewind time a little bit. Not only did he have to go through a time of being crucified, hung on the cross, but it was after a time that he'd been beaten nearly to a point of death. Where every time that he was lashed out upon, that his back was beaten and bruised and that he was cut. Why? He was going through the pain of sin so that you and I might not have to do those things. Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if there be any other way, if there's any other way that man might be redeemed other than the cross, he said, let my this cup pass from me. But what he was saying is, he said, but if this is the only way that man can be redeemed, and he knew the answer, he said, not my will, but thine be done. Being God, he knew what was about to happen. But why did Jesus willingly go to the cross for you 
He went to the cross that in your brokenness, that in your time and your hour of defeat, that in a time when you were, would not be able to sleep at night because your heart is heavy, a time that you have just, you, you question all of mankind when you go through these trying times in your life. Jesus died so that you might find peace. Folks, I hope you all will agree with me when I say this. That Christ gives a peace that the world cannot give. It's a peace not the world can give us, but only He can give. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God proves to us time and time and time again that He loves us. And He loves us even in our brokenness. Let me turn over to the book of 1 John for just a minute. 1 John chapter 9. You want to grasp God's love for us? You want to kind of get an understanding? One, we, we fell at that miserably. Let me read to you if I can the book of 1 John chapter 4. Let me read to you the ninth verse. It was manifested. Again, we're trying to understand God's love. It was manifested the love of God Notice the direction here. Toward us. Why is God and how is God show His love for us? Because that God sent His only begotten Son. But where did He send Him? He left heaven. He came down to this earth. He took on sin just like you and I did. He was tempted in all points like you and I were. And it said that we might live through Him. Did you hear what it said? We will not have life in and of ourselves. But folks, if you come to Jesus just as you are, you will find what it's like to live. For so many people today say, well, I'm just living the life. I want to say you must have Christ Jesus in it. Because the only way to live is to live in Christ. You might have joys, you might have prosperity in life, but there's nothing like living a life and living a life in Christ. For the scriptures teach us that He sent His Son because God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. How do we know God loved us? Not because He said He loved us, but because He showed us and how He has given us. Folks, today, God, for a long time, ever since the very beginning of Adam and Eve, if you want to go back and study that far, ever since the time that Adam and Eve sinned against God, God's been providing the needs of mankind at their worst moments. And by the way, let me just say this. Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God, they were at their worst moments. But God provided what they needed in their worst moment. Aren't you glad this morning to know that God does not need us to be at our best? Oh, you can only get out in public if you're on your best behavior so that I can let people see how good you are, folks. God doesn't want you at your best. He will take you at your worst. And folks, thanks be unto God that He takes people in their brokenness and He doesn't leave them in that state. He fixes them. 
There's testimonies if you'll listen to the people around us. And if you've got one, I pray that you'll share it. That in the brokenness of our life, when we come to Him just as we are, that He will fix us. And God is demonstrating and providing like He did with Adam and Eve, like He has many others. And He is providing for us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. I want you to listen to what He said. It was... In this was manifested the love of God towards us. I love the word manifested because it means to be public. What does that mean? You see, a lot of these Old Testament rituals and stuff were done behind closed doors. And not all of them, but, but many of them were, were kind of in secret. But folks, today, the sacrifice that God made for mankind in the crucifixion of His Son Jesus... This is not something that there's a mystery surrounding. You know, you, you, you read so much and you hear so much, well, did this person die or what happened to them? There's no public record or public viewing of what happened. Folks, Jesus died in public view. Was I there when Jesus died? Do I know that he died? I was not there. But I'll tell you this, if Jesus were dead, I wouldn't feel what I feel. If he were dead, I wouldn't have peace in my heart that, that he is rule and reign in my life. I wouldn't have that if he were dead. I, I would love to go to see the tomb where Jesus very well could have been placed. But do I have to go to the tomb to know that Jesus is alive? No. I know he's alive. Why? Because he lives with inside of my soul. What about you this morning? Do you have that? And here we see that, that he manifested. He made it public. This was not hiding. This was not something secretive. He said, I wanted them to know. I want to read you a couple of verses. You don't have to turn and read there, but let me read to you in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 7. The Lord did not set His love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. This is Deuteronomy verse 7 now verse 8. For you were the fewest of the people. But why did He love you? But because the Lord loved you, and he hath brought you out with a mighty hand. Folks, we're delivered not because there's a large number. We're not delivered because of who we are or where we're born into or our job or our social status. Folks, we're delivered today because of the hand of God. Would you agree with that? We're delivered today. Now, do you think when I say delivered, that means to be brought out of? Sometimes we use the phrase... In a pickle? Sometimes we find ourselves in more of a pickle than others, don't we? But you know what I found out about God? He gets us out of the little things. But folks, God also gets us out of some very big things. The biggest thing that I ever needed out of was the night when I sat in the church. And yet once again I realized that I was facing death and hell. And I needed out of the feeling that I was in. And I needed peace. And you know that night when I sought after Him, God gave me a peace that nobody else could give me. I was in a, a deep place that night. Do you know where that deep place is? It's called hell. It's exactly what was going on with me. Well, you this morning, you may be here and you're troubled, but notice that if we're delivered, we're delivered because the hand of God. For 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10 said this, Herein is love. That we loved God, but that He, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us. He loved us. Why? He said, so that he might be or that he might provide, that he might send his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Do you know what the word propitiation means? That's a kind of a tongue twister word there. But God said that he wanted you to have a propitiation for your sins. It just means a calming. Calming. What's the opposite of calming? Disturbed. You've got calming. You've got disturbed. Let me ask you this. Are there some situations in your life that are disturbing that need to be calmed? You may be here this morning, preacher. Never had that problem. Never going to face that problem. I will tell you this. You dwell on this earth, you will find disturbances. But God can give a calmness. Do you believe in that? A propitiation, he said, is a, it's an act. or It's a, a sense that God is going to calm or bring peace. And it's not just to calm something. But the word goes a little bit deeper than that. It means to calm something that annoys. Folks, being lost, I hope you can understand this because you've experienced it. Being lost is not a comfortable place to be in. Would you agree to that? How many of you, and I, this is not trying to be a trick question, how many times have you ever met somebody that was comfortable being lost? You're uncomfortable. You're uneasy. Why? Something is missing in your life. This morning, if you're here and there's something missing in your life, Jesus will tell you, come just like you are. That's what we're reading about here in, in Romans chapter 5, that God commandeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Notice what He did. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we have a need in our life, do we believe that God can supply that need? Absolutely. And that's what happened here in the book of Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, that Christ died for us. Can I ask you another question? What else does God have to do to prove that He loves you other than saying Christ died for you? What else? Some people might bargain, God, if you love me, you'll make me healthy again. God, if you love me, you'll give me this job. God, if you love me, you'll let me have this. Folks, we know that God loves us if for no other reason than He gave Jesus Christ His only begotten Son. Don't try to stretch out beyond those things. Let me pause just a second. Do I believe God can give you other things in life? Absolutely. But God does not have to prove His love outside of the fact that He gave us Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is what we need for eternal life. For he said that God was able to provide for us our only, His only begotten Son that we might be able to have everlasting life. If I can find this over in the book of Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43 and 1 says this, But now thus saith the Lord that God that created thee, O Jacob, he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When we say that Christ died for us, he said, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. 
wait a minute, what happens when those waters get a little bit deeper? You, you get this imagination. You go through a puddle. You go through a creek. Okay, we need a little help. What happens when those waters become classified as rivers? You know the power of water when it's moving. He said, what happens when you get in situations where it's stronger than that? He said, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. He said, when you walk through the fire, you're not a magician that's tricking. Reason that we can walk through the fire and thou shall not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. He said, you're not even going to have a, a, a smell of, of smoke upon you. He said, these things are not going to harm you, for I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. What he's talking about is that while we were yet sinners, he provided what we stand in need of. But Romans chapter 5 He's talking about the justification and how that we can live a life in Christ Jesus. And he said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you were to give a, not only the fact that God has proven to us he loves us, but what's the quality of God's love? I, I, I hope that's a, a fair question that I can ask. How pure is God's love for you. Somebody can give you water, but that doesn't mean it's clean water, is it? Somebody can give you water that's good, but how pure and clean is what God gives us. By the way, let's just go ahead and look at it like this. How are things what God gives us versus what we give God? When I say just as I am, folks, we give God all of the, the, the pollutedness. We give God all the uneasiness in our life. We give God all the brokenness in our life. But ask yourself and, and, and evaluate to yourself, what does God give us? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <clears throat> to a lot of people, they want to rejoice in sin and they're comfortable in sin. But I'll tell you this, I believe Jesus is a pure being. And I believe today that Christ died for us in as pure a way as we could possibly imagine. But listen to what we're reading here in the book of Romans chapter 5. That listen to what he said. For God commandeth his love toward us. We've already focused on this in some more places today. Folks, God's love is not directed to the people around you. Folks, God's love is directed toward you. I don't want you to get this image in your head, but you're going to understand what I'm saying. If I throw something at you you don't want, you know what you're going to do? You're going to duck. God's love is coming towards us, and I often wonder how many people are trying to evade God's love. For all of us that are saved, you know what we're going to say? That's a foolish thing to do. Don't hide from God's love. Let God love you. Today, that's what we pray to a lost world. That they wouldn't duck from God or hide from God. God's love is seeking after them. God's love is, is going towards them. May they not hide from God. God's love is chasing. God's love is after us. But we must let God's love surround us and overtake us. While we were yet sinners... God commanded His love toward us and that we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. I want you to really listen. 
when I said come to him just as I am. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. You don't have to get holy and then get saved. That's why you don't have to uh, you don't have to have immersion. You don't have to have communion. You don't have to have all these things in order, in order to have salvation after that. You've got to come to Him just like you are. In the condition you're in, and you come just as I am. He said, while, he said, while we were yet sinners. God does not manifest His love upon the human race after we become holy. When does God manifest His love upon man? Before we become holy. Did you hear what I just said? God does not demonstrate His love to us after we've done better or after these things happen. Folks, while we were yet sinners, how many of us are guilty of that this morning or had a time in our life? We are guilty of sin. The truth is we all fall under that umbrella this morning. We're all guilty of sin. But aren't you thankful today that when we are guilty? Aren't you thankful this day that, that, that when we find ourselves in sin, that just as we are, we can come to Him. God takes us just the way that we are. For if you mark the book of Ruth, chapter 4, I was reading just the other night about an account with Naomi and her two daughters-in-laws, they lose their spouses. Naomi loses her two sons. The two daughter-in-laws lose their husbands. They're, they're experiencing poverty. They're experiencing lost. There's a man by the name of Boaz that we can read about in Ruth, the book of Ruth, chapter 4. Actually, chapter 3 is going to tell you this says, and now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. He's talking to, to Ruth. Boaz says, I'm going to purchase you. You're in a predicament. You're in a, you're in a poverty time. He said, I want to bring you out. He said, but we've got to follow the law on this. So, so follow with me for just a minute. The story is kind of, and I, I've left some of this out for the, for the sake of time, but we've gotten to the point. It's Naomi and Ruth. Boaz has told them to go out in the fields and get whatever food is or whatever grain is left over. In other words, whatever the farmers and the, and the, they, they gather in, they would lose some on the ground and they would go through and pick it up. And finally Boaz said, give them some of the best they have. So they, they started gathering a little bit of the harvest because they don't have any land of their self. So what happens is, is that Boaz looks at Ruth and he said, you don't have to be alone forever. He said, I'm going to purchase you. I'm going to buy you. But he says in the third chapter, in the twelfth verse, And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. He said, How be it, there is a kinsman nearer than I. Ruth Boaz. Good love story there. But here's what's going to happen. Boaz said, Ruth, I'm going to go to the city the next morning and I'm going to take care of the business. I'm going to purchase you for myself. He said, but I want you to know something. There's a nearer kinsman than I that if he claims you, then I have to step away and say he gets to claim you first, the nearest kinsman, blood kin, or relative that can buy or purchase. But here's what's going to happen. So Terry, this night, and this is the 13th verse, 
And it shall be in the morning that if he will perform it under the part of thy kinsman, well, let him do thy kinsman's part. But here's what I love in this particular account. Boaz told Ruth, if he don't want you just as you are, listen to what he said. He said, let him do the nearest part, but if he will not do the part of the kinsman to thee, there is no doubt in his mind, then will I do the part of the kinsman to thee. As the Lord liveth, lie down in the morning. He said, if I want you to know there is no hesitation. I want you. I want the land. I want your mother-in-law. He said, I want this situation just like it is. Just like it is. So what happens in the fourth chapter? They go to the gate. It's where the business is taken care of. So Boaz went up to the gate and he sat down there. Now Boaz had told you about another kinsman. He said, now Ruth, before I buy or redeem, there's somebody else that gets first opportunity. So sure enough, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake, he came by. What a, what a sad situation is about to happen. He said, hold such a one. Turn aside and sit down here. He turned aside and he sat down. So then these people or these witnesses, the ten witnesses we read about. So Boaz goes up to the gate. He said, hold such a one, turn aside, sit down. He turned aside and he sat down. So to make this transaction going to be what we would call legal, he said there's going to be the witnesses. Look in the third and the fourth verse. Third verse tells us, And he said to the kinsman, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth the parcel of land, which was our brother Amalek's. There's family ties here. Didn't get into all that, but what he's saying is that there's land to be bought. Naomi, being the widow, has this land, but it belongs to Amalek, but it has to be sold. Let's keep reading here. Set the parcel of land, which was our brother Amalek's, um, and I thought to advertise these saying, Buy it before the inhabitants, but the elders of my people, if thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. So if you don't want it, I will. So you know what he said? I will redeem it. So the first kinsman said, that's what I want. Well, Boaz says, know this. What day that thou bowest the field of the hand of Naomi? He said, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabites. He said, you're not just going to get one. He said, you're going to get it all. And it all comes, it's a package deal. He said, just like it is. The wife of the dead. To raise up the name of the dead upon the inheritance. So you know what the nearest kinsman said? Look at the sixth verse. So the first in line said, I cannot redeem it for myself. He said, if you're going to put that stipulation on him, he said, I don't want it. Look what he said, that sixth verse. He said, if I take this inheritance, he said, I'm going to mar myself. This morning, there's a lot of people that don't understand. Jesus cannot be marred. You see, this one that had the first chance of inheritance, he was not worried about what he could do for them. He was worried about himself. Folks, Jesus came to this earth 
not about himself, but he's worried about what he can give you. And folks, when Jesus died on Calvary, he died for you. And that nearest kinsman, look what he said in the sixth verse. He said, I, I can't redeem this. He said, if we redeem this, re redeem means to, to purchase it. He said, if I redeem it, he said that I will mar, he said, mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself. I cannot redeem it. He wanted the land, but he didn't want the person. Can I tell you something? Jesus wants you. That's what he wants. He wants you, and he wants you just like you are. For his words were, lest I mar my own inheritance. You know what he was worried about? What he had, if they were going to be poverty or they were going to be broke, then he was going to have to let go of his riches to give unto them. Can I tell you what God has done through Jesus Christ? He shared his riches. He shared his riches. That's exactly what God did. God looked down upon a human race and he wasn't worried about keeping it to himself. He said, I want to share heaven with you. Folks, I thank God that we as a human beings, that we can have access to the riches of God, but it happens through Jesus Christ. I thank God today that he wasn't selfish that he didn't look upon us in our brokenness and say, you're not worth it. He said, I'll take you and I'll take you just like you are. The first one said, I don't want you in that condition. Folks, I thank God that he takes us just like we are. There was a night many years ago, I got in an altar and I was as broken in my soul as you could ever imagine a man. And I poured my heart out to God and said, God, I can't do this. And you know what? I said, Lord, if you'll do, I'll do anything if you'll just give me peace and save my soul. And you know what? God said, Save my soul. We see here that this nearest kinsman, he wasn't he, he was worried about his inheritance. What was his? You know what Boaz said? He said, I've got something I want to share it with you. Aren't you glad that heaven wanted to share something with us? And he shares that through Jesus Christ. And we, you and I, as human beings, we get to experience that. For let's hurry along. I, I want to keep reading here for, for for skip down to the 10th verse. He said to raise up the name of the dead among the inheritance that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren. He said in the midst of death I'm going to give life and that's exactly what he did. So he said you're going to be witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Amalek's. Ruth, he said, I purchased to be my wife. All that the people that were in the gate and the elders said, we're witnesses. I want to close in a minute, I promise, but I want to tell you, if he was to go out there and just take a person or a land, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't have the deed to it, as we might say. You can't just kidnap a person and take them for yourself. It had to be done legally. You know what it means to be something to be done legally? That's the word justified. Ooh, let's go back to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is about being justified. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Folks, today... What Boaz did for Ruth was legally binding that it would withstand a judgment. I want to tell you something about Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something about the Holy Spirit of God. That, the Holy, that Jesus Christ did a work on Calvary and the Holy Spirit of God can do in the heart of a man something that will withstand the judgment of God. 
if you're here today, do you have something that's going to stand? So it's kind of ironic, or I say kind of ironic, it's kind of funny. You know how they justified this and sealed this agreement? They took the shoe off. That's what happened. Uh, they took their shoe off because they wanted to seal the agreement that everything is binding and it's legally binding. Folks, what God did for me that night when he saved my soul, it's going to stand one day, even the greatest judgment that man has ever known. It's going to stand. Why? Because there was a time in my life that I came to him just as I was. If you're here this morning and you've got something on your heart, you're broken, you're heavy hearted, you're troubled, whatever it is in your life, come to him just as you are. And I'll tell you this, heaven has a lot of riches they want to bestow upon us or heaven wants to give to us. But we have to do that through Christ Jesus. What's on your heart today? Do you want to come to him just as you are? God bless you this morning. That's the thoughts I had on my heart. Let's